Would you open God's precious holy word to 2 Peter 2? Hey, let me tell you something. We were not in 2 Peter 2 last week. We actually were in 2 Peter 1. It was the sixth mistake I had made this year. Um, And I'm ahead of my quota for mistakes. So I have to be real good from here on out. But we are. And if we're not, you are invited anytime. I I do this stuff. I make up these slides and, oh man, I'm doing the translating and all this. There is a possibility sometimes that I might not, because what I'm studying doesn't necessarily have the designation of chapters and verses and so forth. So you may rise to a point of order at any point and say, that ain't what my Bible says. And I'll be glad to figure it out, all right? So please, with my face in the mud, forgive me for giving you the wrong slide, well, the wrong chapter designation last week. Second Peter 2, 1 through 11. It does start out something like this, doesn't it? But false prophets also arose. That's where it starts, right? Okay. All right. Sometimes when I stand up, my mind sits down. And uh, that's why I'm thinking about sitting more while I preach. Okay. False prophets. Preceding this section, Peter, who has talked about uh, the validity of a true believer and his behavior before others, you know, he said, make your calling and election sure. And he said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. So he's talking about how we, we stand on the true word of God. We have the word of God. So with that as its backdrop, he approaches the subject of false prophets. It's, it's a plague. There were false prophets in the Old Testament from way back, old, there were prophet, old, false prophets in the New Testament, false prophets today, and there will be false prophets until the consummation of all things. Peter now warns these believers who are under persecution and, and uh, they're suffering for their Christian faith under Nero. He warns them and then thus also warns us as well regarding the plague of false prophets and false teachers. So let's begin looking at verse one here. But false prophets, now the, de, the Hebrew word is, can be however or but, but that conjunctive word, it connects it back to what's just previously been said. So he said, we have a sure word of prophecy. No, we have the word of God. This is what separates our discernment or our mindset or our worldview. This separates us from that which is false because we have the sure word of prophecy. We have the word of God. But false prophets also arose among the people just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Let's break this down a little bit. 
up here in uh, the original text as he, as he wrote it, he says, they're, they're going to perisoxen. Uh, what he's saying is they're going to stealthily introduce destructive heresies. Now, how do they do that? Well, they do it knowing that there are people who really don't know what they're talking about and therefore accept it. The word secretly, as I said, it can mean stealthily, to be stealth. I've watched some stuff on YouTube about the development of the stealth aircraft in the military. Research after research, years, decades after decades, billions and billions of dollars. The latest thing that I've been watching is the development of what's called the B-21 uh, bomber. And then the next, the NGAD, the next generation air defense, the sixth generation fighter. All of them have cost a lot of money because so much is going into making them Invisible, to make them stealth, to make them invisible so that nobody can see it. Now, this sort of speaks of false prophets. They go to great lengths to hide themselves as to who they really are. Secretly, it's not a secret if you can see through it. The mandate of the Great Commission, it is, it, is, uh, it, is, it is the order that is given to us from Christ. It's, it's not a suggestion. And the, 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 cent, the centerpiece of the Great Commission is to make disciples. Now, everything else is what's called a dangling participle. Uh, teaching them as you are going along your way, uh, baptizing them. But the, 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 the centerpiece of it all, the foundation of the whole Great Commission is to make disciples. Now, a disciple is a learner. If you have a learner, then you must have a teacher. And so there are those who teach because they have experience and they have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and uh, they, they have been disciples themselves for some time, and they disciple others. And the Great Commission is to disciple people. It's to make sure, you see, if you just take the Word of God as it's, at, its, at its meaning, uh, just at its face meaning, God calls people to himself as he sees fit. We're, we're to go out and to proclaim the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We are powerless when it comes to making people saved. That's God's business. That's what God does. We have, we have uh, discharged our responsibility when we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting 
life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There is no other way to be saved. Acts chapter 4, we're talking about, he says, uh, there is no name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus. So then, in the gospel message, we also have to preach the law which condemns us. The law can't save us. There is no man who does good, no one who does good, no, not one. For we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every man is born into the race of Adam as a sinner, of course, except for the Lord Jesus. Therefore, you are automatically, automatically uh, unable to gain heaven on your own. There's nothing you can do. Absolutely nothing that you can do because if you ever break the law once at any point in time from the time of your pitiful little infancy all the way up until adulthood and death, if you ever break one law one time, have you ever wanted something that somebody else had? Have you ever borne false witness, maybe not even realizing it, but you just sort of quoted something that somebody said, you're guilty of the law. You are condemned before God and you're going to have to die. Not just a death, but an eternal death, separation from God in hell and torment. So we have to be redeemed. We have to be purchased. And that's the son of God. There's only one way to be saved. Jesus died to save us. Now, here we look at this. It says here that what he introduces secretly, and that's a, that's a public thing that we do, and we make disciples after, after that. I believe personally that there is built into every call to God for salvation the, the desire to learn more about Christ, to learn more about God, our creator, to learn, learn more about his word. As we study his word, we learn more about our creator. Then we learn more about our savior, whom we, we come to realize as our greatest friend who sticks closer to us than a brother and then we learn about Christ through the Holy Spirit abides in us and walks with us and strengthens us and helps us. We'll make many, we'll come to many forks in the road. What do we do? Trust God. We learn these things by studying the scriptures. And as we study the scriptures more and more, we realize that most things are just a no brainer for Christians. This is the way that we should go. This is what the Bible says. This is what the word of God says to us. Blessed, holy, precious word of God. So we make disciples. We understand in making those disciples, both the teacher and the learner, that we're studying absolute truth. Just because we don't understand it doesn't make it false. So we pray more and we study more. And the more we pray and the more we study, the more we mature in the faith, the more solid we become in understanding absolute truth. This is the only absolute truth that exists. I have observed YouTube, and then you hear me say that a lot because I, I don't have much of a life. Um, but I've also read about this uh, new telescope, Webb, Webb, Webb Telescope. They're seeing things that just confuse them. They're just, it flies in the face of, uh, of everything that we thought we knew scientifically. 
Well, that's because it's good. You know, I, I have no problem with people studying science. I think we ought to. Because to me, it just confirms more who God is and declares to us the absolute truth of his word. So then anything that comes along and tries to stand against the word of God, a true disciple of Christ say, you know, that's not real. That's not true. That you won't ever prove that. It won't stand on its own. It's just not true. So we're disciples of Christ and as far, the farther we go, whether it's a, whether it's a, I don't know, a social, uh, a social ideology or, or a, political, a, a political persuasion or, or something in so-called academia, the more we study the word of God, the more we are armed with absolute truth and the more we are able to see that which is false or that which is a heresy. Secretly introduced. So we're to be disciples of Christ who is the incarnate word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. All things through him came into existence. Apart from him nothing was made that has been made. And the word, as Kennison, the word flesh did become. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So, you know, you can see the reality of God if, by studying his wonderful creation. You can uh, see the reality of God, of course, by considering Christ. God is, <laughs> there's no way to describe God. We're the product. We're the effect. He's the cause. The effect can never approach the greatness of the cause. So we can't know all that there is to know about the causer. But I'll tell you what. We can know all that we can know about him according to his will because he became a man for us in Christ Jesus that he in the best way possible could reveal God to us in the time and space continuum. Here we are. He came into where we are and did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Now, here comes somebody secretly. How, how can I not get duped by a false prophet? Study the Bible. Study the Bible. Don't connect to anything that adds to or takes away from the word of God. Nothing. That's pretty simple to me. Secretly. So they have to have people who are willing to listen to some sort of thing that's wrong. And it's, a, it's always a powerful personality who does it. Introduce destructive heresies. Heresies. Now that's, a, that's an interesting word. Aresis. It means to forcefully present a personal tenet, a personal opinion seeking to influence others to follow you in that opinion. That's what, the, that's what a person who's a heretic tries to do. So he comes up with something. And usually these strange things hit like a flash in the pan and they sort of usually die away on their own. I can think back through the years Back in the early days of Christian television, 
the choices were few. And you could tell most of them played to the camera. You know what I'm saying? You can make anything look like anything if you have a set, right? Because it's just two-dimensional. It's, it's not three-dimensional. It's just two. And there was a lot of stuff. There was this fellow who came on one time, and he had the gift of laughter. So I was trying to get something out of the message here. He was a fat guy, so I sort of, you know, I said, well, there's one of us. See what this guy has to say. And his thing was the joy of the Lord. Then he started laughing, giggling. And then, you know, have you ever heard something that just, you, just person starts laughing and, and the laughter is just contagious. You know, you just kind of get up into the, you just get caught up into the laughter, not so much because of what it was said, because this guy is so funny when he laughs. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen. And then, you know, you, the more they laugh, the kid gets uncontrollable and your tears start rolling and all this kind of, that's what this guy did to people. So you had the whole auditorium laughing out of control. This was a church service and that was it. Now, that didn't laugh, I, I don't hear of that anymore. That's one thing to have a Christian comedian up there. That's okay, you know, he's just, He's just having a good time with everybody. There's nothing wrong with that in a fellowship setting. But this guy was presenting it as a gift that people needed, the gift of laughter. The gift of laughter. I laugh. Just about everything's funny to me. I, very few things that happen that I can't laugh about unless it's really tragic. Now, I don't, I don't laugh at tragic things. But uh, this guy, you know, well, that's just one of many things that I could stand here for I don't know how long and talk about heresy, just really stuff. A personal opinion from a powerful personality who is imposing this opinion on others for the, for the purpose of gaining followers. That's a heretic. That's what the word means in the Greek. What, so a heresy is just that. Now, where does it start? Here it is. Even denying the master who bought them. Now that's the Lord Jesus. He purchased us with his blood. The, 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 the word is redemption. He redeemed us. So, from before the foundation of the world, I don't understand it, I just know what the Bible says. From before the foundation of the world, God wrote the names of the elect in the book of life. Now that's before there was a blueprint, the foundation, that's before there was a, a written out plan of, of creation. Before the foundation of the world. I can't understand that. I don't understand it. I thank God for it now that I'm on this side of it. But I don't understand it. I just know what the Bible says. And then along the way, God created everything through his son. All things came through him. And apart from him, nothing was made that has been made. John chapter 1. So 
Christ became a part of the creation as he created so that God could present himself in a way that we could understand. Now, in the course of creation, there was still this book of life. There were still those whom God had written, whose names he had written in the book of life. But now Adam sins and mankind collapses into sin, into fallenness. Well, I'm in mankind. Because of Adam's sin, I fell. There's no perfect thing in me. But Christ came to redeem me. He redeemed me. I was worthless until he gave me worth. He redeemed me. Those who belong to God have been redeemed. I can't tell you all who they are. I preach to everybody. I'm preaching for the whosoever wills. I'm reaching out and preaching and teaching and praying that God, whoever might be here today without Christ or listening somewhere in the world, if you don't have Christ, I am praying for you that God will call you into his wonderful and beautiful salvation. I can't force the issue, however. But it's my command and commission to preach the gospel everywhere, to every creature, to all across the world. Because as it's said, I am with Christ after the elect. I don't know who they are. You know, Paul was going to a city and God said, I have many people there. God was sending him to the city. I have many people there. Well, they didn't know. But they were going to know because the gospel was coming to them and God was making provision. This is, this is why he is the master who bought us. He's redeemed us. We have no other redeemer. Nobody, yeah, man, I used to, I used to have a friend. I was, you know, my dad was, had a clothing business and I was his son and I was obviously the heir apparent of the clothing business. And I had a friend whose dad, they, they were Jewish people and his dad had a pawn shop. I guess it's still there, I don't know. But this guy was a little older than me, the son of the, the guy who had started the pawn shop. And I was into guitars and stuff. And, you know, you walk into a pawn shop that's well kept. You just think, i got to have one of everything that's in here. I mean, this is great. And when you walk through, this had a little indented entry where there was a glass case on the sidewalk. And on the right side was the jewelry. And you would see the rings or the necklaces, the diamond stuff, whatever. And it would have a, an outrageously low price, you know. And it would have a card on it that said, unredeemed. And I used to think, that is the saddest thing I've ever heard of. Something so beautiful and so lovely that's unredeemed. So I'm going to go in there and be that thing's savior, <laughs> you know. I didn't have the money. I don't have, a, I don't have an endless bank account like Christ. 
But I make the point that it was worth something and became worth nothing and now needed to be redeemed that it might be worth more than it had ever been worth because now it belongs somewhere. Well, this is the one who bought us. But it's not just denying the master who bought them. How do you do that? Well, okay. First of all, he's God in the flesh. He's very God of very God. You don't believe in the deity of Christ? You've denied the very master. He's virgin born. You don't think that Christ is virgin born? You've denied the very master. He lived a sinless life. You don't think he lived a sinless life? You've denied the very master. He died vicariously. That is to say, he died for others and not for himself. He was a substitute for his own. You don't believe that? You've denied the very master. He died for me. He was buried and then he resurrected. He was raised again on the third day. You don't believe in the resurrection of Christ? You've denied the very master. He ascended into heaven. You don't believe that? You've denied the very master. He is enthroned in heaven. He sits beside the right hand of the majesty. According to the Bible, he, he is there, Hebrews chapter seven, to make intercession for me. For those of us who are in Christ, his job on the cross was to save me. His job currently in heaven is to keep me saved. He's my high priest. You don't believe that? You've denied the very master. You don't think the master who saved you doesn't have the power to keep you? And he's coming again. You don't believe that? One out of every 27 verses in the whole Bible refers the second coming of Christ. You don't believe he's coming again? You have denied the very master who is the purchaser, the redeemer of his own. One of the key things that you should always pay attention to when someone comes out of the blue and starts teaching things that you think, well, I've never heard like this before. What does he think of Jesus? What does any group think of Jesus? There are groups today who are very have very large followings. But what do they think of Jesus? Do they meet the litmus test of scripture? Okay, destructive heresies. Even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality. Now the word uh, sensuality up here, I suggest, I suggest, it means the word is an interesting word. It, it, it speaks of someone who goes against everything that is, that is right and for the, for the purpose of throwing off restraints. Gonna be un, you're not going to restrain me in whatever your tradition is, whatever your belief is, whatever. That's, that's the person. So he comes with something that throws off a restraint. He won't be restrained. And because of them, the way of the truth. Who is the way? Jesus. I am the way, the truth, the life. Because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. 
the word to blaspheme is to, to malign that which is divine. So they're, they're coming against everything because of their heresy. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle. It's there. And their destruction is not asleep. It doesn't sleep. So, you think, I've told you this before. I hope I didn't wear it out because I'm about to tell it to you again. And you can briefly look at your phone if you want to, if you've heard this before. But then when I snap my finger, I want you right back here. Nah, I'm not going to do that. We were, I was, I can't walk. I have a bad knee. Pat can walk all day on anything. She hikes up and down and up and down in the woods. Soft sand on the beach. One step and I'm done for. All day long, up and down, down and back, here and there, just, just all day long. So when she's ready to go to the beach, we go to the beach. I'm always doing the same thing. I'm just a barrel of laughs. Okay, darling, I'll find something on television. So I was watching, um, well, Gunsmoke, Gunsmoke. Who who can't enjoy Gunsmoke? But there was a disclaimer. And the disclaimer, as it came on, I've never seen this before until I was down there. This, this is Fort Morgan. The disclaimer was this production was made in a day of, of different cultural beliefs. <laughs> you know, like a man is a man, a woman is a woman, and, and whatever. And bad guys get caught, and they have to pay for what they did. And so, you know, it's a different day. But I'm, I'm thinking, you know, that's a dumb thing for them to put on there. Okay, so then you think, and here's where I'm headed with this. The word of God, okay, so this thing was saying, you know, we live in a different day where things that used to be bad are good and okay. And things that used to be okay are bad or whatever, you know. It's just flipped upside down. That's called a reprobate mind in the Bible. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, it's no different. The, the norms of breaking the law and not breaking the law and a, and a, a high sheriff or in the case of Marshall Dillon, uh, a marshal, a U.S. marshal who comes along and, and enforces the law and men fall in love with Women and women fall in love with men. Now, I'm not too much fond of the, the Long Branch Saloon. I, I don't, but people still do that too. Here's the deal. Who has made, who has made those differences? I mean, wh- what about that? All right, here it is. Now, 
things that once were against God and his Christ, things that were opposed to his scripture, his way, his law, those things are still there and God is not idle. He hasn't stopped what he does. Of course not. He's keenly aware. He did not fall asleep. Their destruction is not asleep. There is coming a day of judgment. We are probably right at the cusp, but we're right on the edge of it today because of the world and the way of the world. Because somebody can come along and say, you know, if you, if you have what used to be natural, normal thoughts, I have to make a disclaimer and tell you that that's not necessarily a natural, normal thought today. So be aware when you watch this TV show. Good grief. So here, that's what he's saying. Nothing, nothing like that has changed. God has told us himself that he's changeless. He's immutable. Now, he gives us three examples. Here, here's the, here, here are two things that you take from this. Number one, God will bring evil into judgment. That's number one. Always. It never, that won't ever change. Number two, God knows how to rescue the righteous out of that judgment. Thank God for it. He gives us three examples. For if God did not spare angels who sinned, having cast them down to Tartarus and delivered them in chains of gloomy darkness, being kept for judgment. Now, let's talk about that. The angels who sinned delivered them into Tartarus. To deliver them, up here the word to deliver uh, means that they were, they were surrendered. There it is, paradikin. They were surrendered to custody, into custody. Delivered them into chains of gloomy darkness. That word up there, zofu, translated, it's gloomy darkness, but it speaks of the densest, blackest darkness imaginable. You can't see a thing. There is no light there at all, none. The gloomiest, densest, blackest of darkness. The angels who sinned. There was a rebellion. Satan was their leader. At one time, he was the son of brightness, the son of morning. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, 29. We read about it. Not much, but we read enough. He was splendid, the unfallen star of brightness, son of brightness. He was splendid in his glory. Ezekiel says every precious stone was his covering. And his pipes and his tabrets were fixed upon him as, though, as, as in his creation. Now, what does that mean? Okay. Precious stones are worthless 
unless light shines on them. If they're in the darkness, they're just like a rock or anything else. But if light shines on them, they reflect the glory of the light. Every precious stone was your covering. He's called the anointed cherub, cherubim. There are five of them and one of them has fallen. There are still four unfallen ones. They bear up the Merkabah, Ezekiel says, the chariot throne of the Son of God. Those four wheels within wheels and they have all these eyes and stuff. Those are the other, those are the other four. Their captain fell. Pipes and tabrets are like woodwind and brass wind, like an organ maybe. But do you know in order to get the sound out of it, the wind has to pass through it. That's the Holy Spirit. So without the, without the majesty of the Christ and the movement of the Holy Spirit, this grand being is worthless. He doesn't mean, he's not pretty at all. He's ugly. And he fell. The Bible tells us in Revelation, he took a third of the angels with him. Now, a whole bunch of those fallen angels were consigned. They were arrested, chained, and they were put into Tartarus. Your Bible probably translates that as hell. There are only three words in the Bible in the New Testament translated hell. Gehenna, which is the lake of fire. We haven't had Gehenna yet. Hades, Hades, which is the, the netherworld the gloomy netherworld of the unsaved dead. There are a lot of people in Hades. There is a lower and worse place than Hades. It's Tartarus. And it is only inhabited by these horrible, terrific, strong, fallen angels that are so terrible and so bad, so nasty, so strong, so wicked, so evil that God does not allow them to have access to the human race or to his universe. There, they are kept. You see that word kept. Uh, they're being kept. Teruminos from tereo, which means to place under guard. They are guarded. So they're in the worst place of God's consignment for evil beings. Only, the fallen, only certain of the fallen angels are there. Now, Tartarus, it is believed, is also synonymous with the word abyssos or abyss. And the abyss is mentioned. Well, let me go back to Luke 8. Luke chapter 8. There are Hellenistic Jews. Yeah, okay, so Christ is going to the other side. And now this is the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it. But uh, what's, a, what's a men's clothing place today? Nobody knows. Who? Walmart, Walmart okay. <laughs> now this is the gospel according to Charles. Christ has under his seat a nice package from Walmart. It's beautiful new men's clothing. On the other side, in the gatherings, is this guy who's crazy. He's demon-possessed. People are scared of him. 
Jesus has heard about him. He lives in the graveyard. They're all scared of him. Jesus steps off that boat. Now this is the gospel according to Charles. Has that Walmart package under his hand. And here's this guy. He's naked. He's crazy. He cuts himself. He's strong. He scares people to death. He's a monster. Jesus knows that he has a demon. Jesus goes right to, up to him and says, what is your name? He has to answer Jesus, son of God. And he says, we are legion for we are many. Legion, that's, that's 6,000 Roman soldiers, six, the number 6,000. Legion, 6,000 demons. And Jesus is about to cast them out. And here's what they say. They said, please, send us into that herd of pigs. Please don't send us to Abyssos, the abyss, which is probably Tartarus. It's a horrible place. He sends them into the pigs and they commit. Well, the old preacher joke is they committed suicide. I know, it's the best I could do. No, there's another one. It was the start of deviled ham. <laughs> that's, that's. Please, not the abyss, not there. Sends them into the pigs. Now, you go over to the Revelation 9, and then the tribulation, if you can imagine this, in the tribulation, the door to the abyss is opened and out they come. How long have they been chained and imprisoned and they are ready to destroy anything in their way? That's a time yet to come. The church, thank God, will be taken away before that. So gives you an idea of Tartarus. In, chain, in chains of the densest of gloomiest darkness, kept under guard for judgment. I can't finish this sermon. I had 11 verses. And this is verse four. So God wants you to th think about that. These examples of how God judges the wicked and rescues the redeemed. We'll pick up there, okay? Next Sunday. God willing. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? The Ethiopian eunuch asked Philip, having heard the gospel, here is, wa here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? To which Philip the deacon replied, nothing. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that God has raised him from the dead. What a simple and beautiful way to present the gospel.
so rich and yet every word and every thought within that so deep. Jesus Christ, the son of God who came into this world to save sinners. Perhaps you're here today without Christ. It is my prayer that you will not leave that way as you exit this service. We have deacons and wives just as you exit. You'll see them in the rooms there. They're ready to pray with you. If you're already a Christian and God leads you to come and be a part of Shiloh, they're there prepared to speak with you and pray with you about that as well. But for now, let's prayerfully stand all over this room.